It's not for my ears. It's not for, for uh, what I like or what I enjoy, but it's all about Him. And <clears throat> This evening, as we take a look at God's Word, uh, we find ourselves in Jeremiah. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 6 and part of chapter 7 tonight. And as we take a look at what the Lord has for us, we, we kind of get pulled out of the... I don't know, the reality of being in, in the Lord's presence to coming down the mountain and being in the reality of life. You love how that happens? You guys ever have those, those moments where you're just really, huh? Jeremiah 6 and 7. You're really high on what God's doing. You're really excited and maybe you went to a men's retreat or you went to a conference or you heard a speaker and somebody just got you super excited about the word. And excited about living your life for Jesus and excited about really applying all those things you talk about. And then we come home and right outside the front door of our house is the real world waiting. Waiting to say, did you forget about me? And often we'll allow that to rip us off. Whenever I think about that, I think about the, the parable of the sower. You guys remember Jesus told a parable of the sower, and the sower went out to sow seed? And you remember that seed that was sown, and it landed on that hard ground, and the, and the birds of the air swooped down and snatched it up before it had a time, a chance to grow? I think sometimes the devil gets away with that in our life. I think sometimes he gets to come and snatch away the word that God is laying in our heart because, well, to be honest, we let him. We let them because we're not walking in obedience to what God calls us to do. You see, we come down the mountain, we come to the house, and whatever the problem is that's waiting for us, sometimes it's huge. Sometimes it's a big deal. Somebody got hurt, somebody's sick, some tragedy going on. And we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we take our eyes off the word he gave us, and we take our eyes off of what he wants to do in our life, and we put our eyes in on the storm, on the giant, on the problem, on the thing that God says not to meditate on. He tells us to meditate on the pure and the lovely. He tells us to meditate on, on the good that he's working and doing. To trust him for everything else, but to meditate on that. But, but what happens, I mean, come on, I do the same thing. I start meditating on, uh, how am I paying that bill again? Or, well, I, I wasn't planning on putting tires on the car yet. What do you mean the car needs tires? You know, whatever, the stuff that happens. Well, when we look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet is sent to the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, Israel, 10 tribes in Israel. They, they've already gone 100 years earlier into captivity. And the southern kingdom, God warned them through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel to pay attention to what happened to her sister and the hard times that she had to go through, you know, as a result of her disobedience to God. But you know what? They, they would maybe occasionally hear something that they liked of God's word or that they'd want to apply of God's word. But then they'd be faced with life and they forget it. Paul would say it to this. Sometimes we look in the mirror and then we walk away and we forget what manner of man we saw in the mirror. In the mirror. Sometimes we think it's a mirror's job to clean us. But you and I know the mirror can't do that, right? The mirror just shows the dirt. It's up to me to apply the water of God's word to wash that dirt clean. 
So as we look at what God is, is laying out here through the, the prophet Jeremiah, my heart kind of goes out to Jeremiah because Jeremiah frustrated his entire ministry. People hate him. They never listen to him. They never, they never want to apply the word that he gives or the warning that he brings. You ever try to fill a cup that's already full? And that's how the, the nation of Judah was. They were already full. They already knew. They, they didn't need someone else to try to show them, someone else to try to tell them. But as we look at it from a historical standpoint, we see, we recognize the failure, the things that happened to, to Judah. But listen, don't forget, God's word is living. And the word that Jeremiah brings to us this evening is alive. And the issues that are going on with them sometimes creep into our life. And God wants us to deal with them. To eradicate those. To really be focused on an intimate walk with Him. Because there's so much more that we can have in an intimate walk with Christ than I think what most of us experience. But it comes down to that choice. It comes down to that decision. So let's pick it up in... In uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, we'll pick it up in verse 16. Verse 16 to chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah the prophet brings this word. Doesn't that word sound familiar, by the way? Especially the phrase, and you will find rest for your souls. It's something that Jesus quoted. We'll come to that in a moment. But he says, listen, stand in the ways and see. Literally, he's saying, you're at a crossroads in your life, and you can go right or left. Now stop and ask where the old paths are. Stop and ask where where the right path, the good path, the road that you need to be on. Don't take a wrong turn in the crossroads. We all face crossroads in our life, don't we? Sometimes several times a day. When we come to that crossroad, we, we're faced with a choice. He says, seek the old ways. Well, what are the old ways? Well, hold your finger here and flip with me to the old ways. It's in the Psalms, Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, it's easy to find. If you come to Psalms, and you find a chapter that goes forever, you're there. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Word of God, longest chapter in the Bible. Every verse, I think, but two speak of the Word of God, the importance of God's Word. Seek the old paths, right? Seek the old paths. Seek God's way. Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who take God's word for more than just words on a page. They take it and apply it and say, this is how my life should be ordered. This is how I need to walk. This is, this is who I should be, how I should be, what I should do. To have that attitude that says, I'm not only going to hear it, as James would say, but I'm going to be what a doer also, right? Then we look down. At uh, verse 32, in verse 32 it says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. 
Hey, I'm gonna not, I'm not just gonna walk the paths. I'm gonna run the paths of your commandment, the, the road that you have laid out before me. But don't miss the point. What did he say? How are you gonna be able to do it? It's the Lord that enlarges your heart. We talked about it this morning. What we talked about this morning was God's calling, God's God's call on our life or his direction is our equipping. If God calls us, he equips us. If God calls us, he equips us. He will enable us to do what he's laid out. This is what he's saying. Hey, I'm going to follow your commandments and you're going to enlarge my heart. You're going to enlarge my heart. You're going to make my heart grow. My heart is going to provide everything I need to do the road, to walk the path you lay out before me. The old path, God's way, God's will, God's plan. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. You see, the psalmist saying, man, I'm going to live according to the word of God. I'm going to live according to God's word. I'm going to follow those things that God's word says. A lot of times the word of God is our mirror, right? And it shows us that dirt on our face. And we look at it and we say, yeah, that's right, I need to deal with that. And then we close the book, forget what manner of man we were, where the dirt was, or what needed to be addressed, and we just walk away. But he says, no, man, I'm, I'm going to walk in your commandments. I want to obey your word. I want to follow your word. Let's look at verse 59. Verse 59 of Psalm 119 says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimony." Now, I don't know about you guys, but my life and my testimony is a testimony about how screwed up I can make my life before I decide to allow God to have control of my life. And occasionally, I still think those things. I still think, yeah, I remember what I used to do. Yeah, nope, I need to stay close to Jesus. I need to stay tight with his testimony. I need to stay tight with his word. His word. Folks, his word has a lot to tell us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of things that his word wants to lay out for us. Our challenge is to take it seriously, to make it real, to say, you know, it's not just going to be words on a page to me. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to walk. This is the character I want to have in my life. When Paul says in Ephesians, imitate, be, be imitators of God like dear children. I want to resemble, have a family resemblance to my father in heaven, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to I have a family resemblance. The John, the apostle of love, said, if anyone says he abides in Christ, he ought also to walk as Jesus walked. That's a matter of taking that, those words, the promise, the, the things that Jesus laid out, and not just looking at them and making excuses of why I can't. And saying, no, that's how I'm going to order my life. That's what Jeremiah was saying to Judah. Seek out the old paths. Don't forget, when Judah's writing, you guys remember, when he started, it was at the time of Josiah. Everybody remember Josiah, right? I got it straight now. Josiah was eight. Eight years old when he becomes king. And Josiah starts this this sweeping revival through the land. And this sweeping revival starts tearing down the places where the people would worship idols and where they would sacrifice their children. He starts wiping all that out and says, hey, get back to the word. And as they're doing that, as they're looking around in the, 
in the temple, you know what they discovered? The book of Deuteronomy. They didn't even know. They didn't have the word laying around. They didn't have it like we do today. So they discovered the book of Deuteronomy. He reads it and he's like, oh yeah, this is what we need to do. And as he's about in the midst of where he should have been ruling the, the greatest, he decides to disobey, go to war when he was told not to go to war. And he died. After Josiah, his his son comes up. He rules for about three months. Then another son is placed in power by the same Pharaoh who killed his father. And that Pharaoh changes his name. You ever go through the book of Kings and try to keep the king straight? Like how many Jehoiakims can there possibly be? Yeah, you don't want to know. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. But the point is... It's a time where they were going through revival and then the brakes come on. Josiah died. And now we got a guy who's going back to the, the ways where they were worshiping idols. And Jeremiah says, no, guys, go back to the old ways, the old past. Take the word of God and apply it. Make it a part of your life. What did the word of God tell them in Deuteronomy for their kings? It said to tell the kings not to multiply gold for themselves and start to trust in their gold. Said to tell the kings not to multiply horses for themselves so they would put their trust in their horses. It told the king not to multiply wives for themselves so they wouldn't turn their heart against the Lord. It laid out for the kings to do what? Make a copy of God's word. Wouldn't that be cool if the leaders, if everyone in a public office had to sit down and write, handwrite a copy of the word of God? But there would be no question about whether or not they at least heard what the word had to say, if they had to write it all. Now, today, with computers, they probably copy and paste it all, right? They might. I, when I was teaching Bible class in California, <clears throat> when the kids would get behind, I would tell them they could write a 10-page paper. For every 10-page paper they turned in, I would bump them a letter grade. So if they were failing, 10-page paper would, would help them pass. So I guess this kid thought I wasn't going to look. He copy and pasted the book of Revelation and turned a whole book of Revelation in, you know. On, on, and I get to read and thinking, you know, this kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> word for word, verse for verse. You know, sometimes people want to take a shortcut. We want to apply. We want to take God's word. We want to make it a part of our life. Well, let's flip over to, to uh, verse 104. Verse 104 says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Through your precepts, through the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. Isn't that what Isaiah said? And the people who were listening to Isaiah said, that's foolishness. That's the way a child learns, line upon line, precept upon precept. But that's the way God would have us learn. And his precepts, his concepts that we gather bring us understanding helps us to acquire or apprehend, lay our hands upon wisdom by applying God's word to our life. Your word in verse 105 is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want to know where to go, Lord. I want to know where you're directing me. I want to know what your will is in my life. Listen, I've shared with you before, God, your will, God's will for your life is not some kind of top secret information. God wants to reveal his will in your life. No question. The problem is we're probably not listening. 
Lord, I got to be at work at 8 o'clock at 7.55. I need to know your will, Lord. Okay, I got to go. Bible says, be still and know that he is God, right? The Bible tells us to wait upon the Lord. If we're going to learn to experience time with him, we're going to need to take time with him. And that's one of the things that we see in the southern kingdom they weren't doing. And verse 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Applying the word of God to life, applying the word of God to our walk, applying the word of God to everything that we want to do. And finally, the last verse, Psalm 119, verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. Constantly holding on, seeking out the old paths. The way that God would want us to travel. The things that God would want us to do. But listen, as we consider that, as we look at this, what does it say? That Jeremiah said, seek the old ways. Go back. You remember in Revelation chapter 2 when... When the Lord is writing his his report card of the seven churches, he talks to the church at Ephesus. And he says that he has this against them. They left their first love. When we go through that section, we see that the Lord calls them to do three things. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent, change your direction, and do what you did in the beginning. That same message is what Jeremiah is bringing to Judah. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Turn back and get back on the right path. But the word of God is clear, right? What do they say? What's their response to him? It says, but they said, we will not walk in it. No thanks. No thanks. What did he promise them? You will find rest for your souls. Think about this. In the land of Judah, the whole world around them was was in chaos. Wars, rumors of wars, all kind of craziness going on. The Lord says, walk on my path and you'll have peace. Rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. At the same time, the darkest time in the history of of the lives of the disciples as Jesus is heading to the cross, he tells him, don't be afraid. You find rest for your souls. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what did he say? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, well-fitting. My burden is light. God wants us to experience rest because he is my Sabbath. My rest is in Christ. In Him is everything I need. In Him is everything that we want. Verse 17, he said, I set a watchman over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Now what was the watcher on the wall? The watcher on the wall held the trumpet and sounded the alarm. 
Trouble's coming. Judgment's coming. The enemy is coming. Whatever the case. But they would heed not. They would not listen. They wouldn't hear. God's not going to judge us. Come on. For 2,000 years, you crazy people have been talking about the fact that the Lord's judgment is coming. You've been talking about the fact that Jesus is going to return, but he's not here. Everything continues to go on like it always has. Peter had something to say about that, didn't he? But he said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, desiring that no one would perish. He's waiting, giving opportunity. Does that mean judgment won't come? Does that mean that day won't arrive? But that's what they thought sitting around Noah's ark while they were giving him grief, right? Hey, Noah, you know how far away you are from water, brother? Long ways. Long ways, Noah. I don't know what you closed that door for. You know, after Noah closed the door, it didn't start raining immediately after he closed the door. You know that, right? I wonder those days he was sitting on the ark if he sweated a little bit. Lord, did I hear you right? It's a lot of work building this boat. Did it start to rain? Yeah, when it started to rain, it was too late. It was too late. Same way for the nation of Judah. Guys, repent, return, get your life right. The Lord is bringing judgment. If we don't repent, he's going to come through and we're going to be taken into captivity. We're not going to be able to make our own decisions for us. God will purge the idolatry from our lives by taking us to the center of all idolatry. We don't want to go there. Let's repent. Let's walk with the Lord. But they wouldn't hear the sound of the trumpet. They wouldn't pay attention. They will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts. Because they have not heeded my word. The fruit of their thoughts. Earlier he said it is the fruit of their iniquity. The Bible says it like this in the New Testament. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows. He will also reap. If he sows to the flesh. He will love the flesh. Reap corruption. But if he sows to the spirit. He will love the spirit. Reap eternal life. They're about to have a harvest for what they've sown. The Lord has encouraged them to stop, repent, turn, and he would turn away the harvest. But they won't. They would not hear. They would not repent. They would not turn. So God's judgment is coming. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? For your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Get the picture. They would go up on the mountain and worship Baal and Ashtoreth, Ashtart. They would do all these things, all these other false worships. And then they would come and they would get special frankincense. And they would get sweet cane to anoint their offerings or their morning and evening offerings. And they would bring them to the Lord. And the Lord said, why are you bringing this to me? I don't want your leftovers. You already, you already worship at the altar of all these idols. 
Why are you coming to me? And when calamity falls, don't call on my name. Call them. Call all those gods you worship and see if they will answer. He says, your burnt offerings do no good. The Bible has a concept that sometimes is a struggle for people to grasp. And that simply is there is no offering for willful sin. There was nothing that could be offered for willful sin. I could not go sin on purpose and come and offer my offering to the Lord. He wouldn't receive it. He wouldn't receive it. That's what he's declaring to these people. I won't receive your offering. I won't receive your sacrifice. It does you no good. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I lay a stumbling block before this people. And doesn't that sound familiar? It seems like the scripture talks about a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And it describes that stone of stumbling and rock of offense as the chief cornerstone, or Jesus Christ. I will set a stumbling block before this people, and the fathers and the sons together will fall on them, and their neighbor and his friend will perish. Thus says the Lord, Behold, the people comes from a north country, that's Babylon, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth, and they will lay hold on bow and spear, or bow and spear, and they are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea. They ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. Now at the time, Egypt and a lot of other people had chariots. But they didn't have cavalry. And people that just rode horses and fought from the backs of horses. It's one of the things that Babylon did have. Babylon did have a, a cavalry that... That, uh, that their men of war would ride upon. And they're coming against you, O daughter of Zion. Again, he describes Israel not as a mighty warrior prepared for battle, but as a, a, a daughter facing this onslaught, facing this battle as a woman. He goes on and says, We have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Even back here at the time of Jeremiah, the Lord says, listen, when trouble comes, it's going to come on like birth pangs from a woman. It's going to start, and intensity is going to grow. It's going to swell. But ultimately, what's going to happen? A birth is coming. Something is going to happen. When there are birth pangs, there will be a birth. Same thing in our world today. What do we see in our world today? Everything that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, don't we? Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in various places, pestilence, famine. That you got every nation just about surrounding Israel in some type or, or semblance of civil war. Beginning of scary ones. Jordan, who's been pretty solid for years and a pretty good friend. On the brink. Syria, even more scary. Because what if a, a wackier government takes hold of Syria? What if in all these areas, all these nations that are covered in Ezekiel 38 and 39, what if they all become pals of Russia? Oh, I'm sorry, it's too late. They did that. Oh, what's the name of Russia in the Bible? Magog. Sound familiar? Gog, Magog, invasion against Israel. All these people surrounding Israel. Israel can't defend herself. God delivers her. 
It's one of the one of the battles I believe that the scripture lays out is still yet to take place. It doesn't have to take place before God calls the church. God can call a church home anytime. But that battle is, I believe, on the horizon. And I think we can watch it beginning, the pieces moving on, on the news. What is it, if nothing else? Birth pangs. What does it mean? There will be a birth. They begin. People say, oh, you always talk about earthquake, 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 earthquake. There's always been earthquakes. You're right. And they've increased in intensity and frequency since 1948. Anybody know what happened in 1948? Israel became a nation. Hmm. Seems like the word of God said something about that, didn't it? I think it was Ezekiel 37. The Valley of Dry Bones. But don't confuse Ezekiel 37 talks about them dry bones coming alive and worshiping God as their Lord and Savior. They haven't done that yet. I think we're in the place where the dry bones are gathered together, but they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not anointed. That's yet to come. That day will come. Jesus will rule as king from that place. But our world is upside down. But Jesus said, don't be freaked out about that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. You put your faith in me. I'm going to take care of you. You're my child. Does that mean there will be nothing hard we go through? Well, the Bible's very clear on that, right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? Will suffer persecution. That's a promise, by the way. It's as close to a commandment as you can get, and none of us have that on our fridge, do we? Wait, I can't wait to read that one. What's it tell us? It tells us there will be hard times. It doesn't mean if we have hard times, God doesn't love us, does it? No. Is God able to carry us through hard times? Absolutely. Has he ever done it before? Yeah, he did. We just talked about Noah being carried through the flood, didn't we? And right before Noah was carried through the flood, what occurred? There was an interesting little story that just seems kind of out of the mix around Genesis chapter 5. It's this fellow that says that he was 65 years old when he had children. And suddenly having children made him walk with God. That ever happened to anybody else? <laughs> says Enoch was 65 years old and he began to have children. And as he had children, he walked with God. And Enoch walked with God for 300 years and was not. For God took him. Isn't that kind of odd to anybody? Kind of a random story, isn't it? Right before the judgment of the flood and God carrying Noah through the flood, you have a story of Enoch being what? What do you want to call it? Delivered. Delivered, Snatched away? Raptured? I don't care what you call it. He was not, for God took him. God took him. What's that a picture of? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. God's able. God's able. We read the seven letters to the seven churches, and we see that God is able. To some of those churches, he promises to deliver them from the time of tribulation that is to come on what? The whole world. From others, he said, you better get right, or you'll get left. That's what he said. That's the report card. Read it. Seven letters to seven churches. 
As we look at that, we recognize and realize same things that they're going through as their judgment is coming upon them. We see in our day, we see in our time, and God has a path for you to walk. Me too. And he guides us on that path when we spend time in his word. How much time do you spend in God's word every day? How much time do you allow God's word? Remember, we, I talked about this morning, guys. Listen, there's no such thing as quantity time if you don't have, or there's no such thing, there's no such thing as quality time if you don't have quantity time. You can't have quality time with the Lord if you're not spending time with him on a regular basis. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it, God wants your morning. I would prefer my morning to start about 11 every day. I like that. And I'll be happy to stay up till 3 or 4 in the morning. It doesn't bother me at all. If you let me sleep till 11, I'll stay up as late as you want. Yeah, but you know what? Not God either. What do we see Jesus doing when he wanted to spend time with the Father? He got up early in the morning, and he went to a quiet place. If Jesus needed to do it, don't you think maybe we do? We need to get up early. We need to seek his face. Well, the Lord has something to say about that, and if I stop stammering, we'll get to it. So let's go on. He says then... And verse 25, do not go out into the field nor walk by the way because of the sword of the enemy. Fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. So in this section of scripture, we have seen a stumbling block, labor pains on a pregnant woman, And mourning as one mourns for the loss of an only son. All prophetic pictures that point to Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, now, I have set you as an assayer. What's an assayer? An assayer, this is a a metallurgist, a tester of metal. I have set you as an assayer in a fortress among my people that you may know and test their way. Hey, I want you to test the metal of the nation of Judah. So he goes on and says, They are all stubborn rebels, walking as slanderers. They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. When we talk about refining silver, bronze and iron can attach themselves to silver. And what a refiner will do is apply heat, fire, and try through the application of a flux, like lead, to pull the bronze And the iron away from the silver will attach itself to the lead, float up as dross, be scraped off, and you have refined silver. Silver throughout the scripture speaks of redemption. Throughout the scripture, silver is about redemption. Bronze is about judgment. So we take a look at at what he has to say. He says, all my people are corrupt. They're they're like a ruined metal. They're, They're messed up. So... The bellows will blow fiercely. That's that thing that blows in the fire, right? I got one of those in my fireplace. I burnt a hole in it. Any of you guys ever have that trouble with the bellows? I'm not sure you're... It was probably something Kathy got at TJ Maxx or something that's supposed to hang next to the fireplace, but we use it. 
And if I get it too close to the fire, sometimes it'll suck a coal up inside. That's bad. Burns a hole clean through the bellows, just like that. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. So, <clears throat> but the bellows blow fiercely, so the, the fire's being stoked up hot. And then the lead is put in, and the lead is consumed by the fire, so the lead is, is melted, and it's supposed to pull the bronze and the iron. But what does it say? The smelter refines in vain, for the wicked are not drawn off. People will call them rejected silver. That's garbage metal. It can't be refined. Apply the heat, the fire of judgment, and if in the fire of judgment the heart of man won't turn to God, it's just a waste of metal. It's just stuff you can't be used. It can't be redeemed. It can't be cleansed. It, its heart is so hard, turned away from what the refiner wants to do. It's just junk metal. Because the Lord has rejected them. The Lord has rejected them. So, in chapter 7, he says, he has a call for reformation. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, that's the temple, and proclaim there this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah. excuse me, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Change what you're doing and how you're living, and you'll stay here. You'll stay in the land. You'll stay in in the position of promise. You'll continue to walk in victory with the Lord. Amend your ways. Change. Repent. Turn. There must be repentance in the life of any believer. He says, do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. That's just how he said it. In the Hebrew, it's just like that. A little different. What he's saying is, hey, you guys are putting all your faith and trust in the temple. The temple's here. And the Lord says, whoopee, the temple's here. Yeah, the temple's here. Is the Lord in it anymore? Did the priests walk into the Holy of Holies and see Almighty God and the Shekinah glory of God there over the, over the place where the Ark of the Covenant was? How long had the priests been walking in and it just been dark in there? And they wondered, has it always been like this? No. But the people had turned their heart away from the Lord. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. You guys straighten up, man, and you can stay here forever. We all know how that worked out, right? Because in 70 AD, they ceased to be in the land for nearly 2,000 years. It's a long time. God fulfilled his promise with them. He said, if you don't turn, if you don't change, I'm going to put you out of the land. I won't put you out forever. He goes on to say, behold, in verse 8, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Faith 
without practice. The book of James talks about that. The book of James talks about a faith without works is dead. Are we saved by works? We Hopefully we got that all straight. No, I'm not saved by works. But if I'm saved, my faith works. My faith has working clothes on. It wants to move. It wants to do. It wants to be. It's alive. And that's what he's laying out here with the people. Hey, you guys say the words. But what's that mean? You come into the temple and you say the words and you give your sacrifice and go worship idols. Something's not true. You're putting trust in lying words, man. You're not, you're not right. You're not safe. You're not good to go, man. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? They weren't honoring the house of the Lord. Behold, even I have seen it, says the Lord. So listen, go to the place called Shiloh. Go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Go to Shiloh. Shiloh's the first place that the, the tabernacle stayed permanently. The Bible says that that's the place where God wrote his name. It's interesting, if you get a satellite photo of the area, you can see the Yahweh in the mountains. You want to see it? It's in my office. Picture of the name of God written where the Lord said, that place where I wrote my name, Shiloh. But does Shiloh still have the temple? Does it still have the tabernacle? No, what happened? The Philistines came and wiped it out and stole the Ark of the Covenant. The children of Israel foolishly brought the Ark of the Covenant to battle. They took the Ark of the Covenant and there was this chaos. The Lord utterly destroyed Shiloh. Why? Because there the idolatry began. And God said, there's no sense in you guys coming to worship me. Let's get the worship of me out of here. You're more interested in these idols. So the Lord says, consider Shiloh. It's gone. There's nothing there. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to look at. Look at what I did to Shiloh. Because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Real quick, let's turn to Psalm 78. And we'll just read what the psalmist has to say about Shiloh. In Psalm 78, verse 58, I think. Seventy-eight, fifty-eight. For they all provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their carved images. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among men. You understand the sadness in that? He forsook the tabernacle. What was evident at the tabernacle at the time of Moses? The Shekinah glory of God. The light 
was there in the Holy of Holies. They walked in, it wasn't dark. They had a lampstand in the other room, in the holy place. But when they walked in the Holy of Holies, there was no light, pitch black, except if God's presence was there. The Shekinah was there, there was light. God forsook his tabernacle. He forsook Shiloh. He wasn't there, nor was he in their temple. He says, hey, you guys, you are fully and completely, utterly given over. And look what he said, verse 13. I wanted to get to verse 13 at least tonight. It says, and now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. That's why I say God wants to spend time with us in early morning. God wants you first. Not at the end of your day when you're cranky and grumpy and tired and you fall asleep when you try to pray and all that stuff. He wants you first. First. For me, that first part takes some time because I'm kind of cranky and ornery at first. And I can't even tell which way's up at first. But honestly, my favorite day of the week is Sunday morning because Sunday morning I'm up at the crack of dawn for me. I get up five in the morning on, on Sunday morning and I sit down and just spend that time from, from five to about 7.30 just seeking the Lord. I love it. It's awesome. The Lord says here, hey, I got up early. God says, I got up early to talk to you, but you weren't there. I called you, but you didn't answer. God's there. If we're willing to seek his face. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name in which you trust. And to this place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight. And I will cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. I'll make you like Shiloh. Make you like Shiloh. My travels, I had an opportunity to go to Europe one of the times. <clears throat> I think it was, I don't remember if it was a trip to Russia or something. But while we were in Europe, we had an opportunity to tour some uh, old cathedrals. And I walked into this big old cathedral. It used to be a church, you know. And, and I looked up to see what kind of worship was going on. But there was none. Yoga class, a couple of other things that were happening. It was Shiloh, a house of God without God's presence. A lot of places like that around the world. Places where at one time God moved in a mighty way. But now he's absent. Just like Shiloh, that place where I wrote my name. That place where my Shekinah dwelt. We don't ever want to be a Shiloh. A house of God where God doesn't come anymore. But Revelation has a church like that, doesn't it? It's called the church of Laodicea. How do we know God's not in the church? Because he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. They didn't even let him in. If you open the door, I'll come in. And sup with you and you with me. But we don't want to be that. We want to be the church of the open door, right? The church where Jesus Christ is welcome. We want to be on the old path. 
the right path, the path of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. We're going to spend some time tonight just closing out in a time of open prayer. So we'll dim the lights. I'll start us off. If you're hang out as long as you want, you want to pray, pray. <clears throat> We're just going to have a time of just calling on the name of the Lord, lifting up our cares and concerns to Him. I don't know if I could let it pass. Should I let it pass? No? Was that a no? Okay, I'll let it pass. So we'll, uh, we want to lift up our cares and concerns. We want to spend an opportunity in prayer. If God lays it on your heart to pray, pray. If you got a bail, God bless you guys. I, I wish we'd have got some time for fellowship. When we're finished with prayer, we'll have a time of fellowship. So if you're able to hang out, we'd love to spend some time with you and, and get to know you more. So um, let's just go seek the Lord's face. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. And we just come before you this evening, Lord, and we just pray, God, that, Father, you would just help us to see exactly what you're saying, exactly what you're doing, exactly what you want from your people. Lord, that we would be a people that desire to walk in the old ways, to not leave our first love, but to... Father, constantly be pursuing that love, to rise early in the morning to catch that word from you, (coughs) to draw near to you, and that you would draw near to us. Lord, I pray, God, that we would not be as those who look in a mirror and see their dirty face and forget what manner of man they were when we left, but as the word of God speaks to our heart, that we would do what you have called us to do. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in this place in a mighty way as we put it in your hands. In Jesus' name.